0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor & Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Hello, Matt.
1: Hey,
2: how are you today? I'm doing
1: good. How about you?
2: I'm hanging in there, I believe. So, what's up? Well, I was lucky enough to pick up a little house, um that I'm looking to rehab. This is my first step into this kind of a project. So I was calling to find out if you have just a general guideline on which steps I should take first. And it kind of needs everything. It was last remodeled. It looks like in 1972. Um, The house was built in 66. And it needs some roofing. It's a 20-year-old roof. Um, It uh, definitely needs just general... Freshening up everywhere and flooring that kind of thing. So I was wondering if you, if you had a general guideline on what I should attack first.
1: Sure. Uh, first thing I always check is the foundation because before anything else should be done, that needs to be done uh, because anything else you do could get tore up when the foundation is done. So foundation is number one. The roof would be number two. Then you got to check the plumbing. And because this house was from, you said, 66? Yes. It's going to have cast iron under it. Cast iron could be bad.
2: Okay. So
1: you're going to want to check the drain system as well. Uh, then you start getting into the cosmetic stuff, really. I mean, the AC system can be changed out at any time before or after cosmetics if it needs it. Uh, you know, your tubs and toilets and uh, All the other stuff is just it's all cosmetic. So, after you finish doing the bones of it that we just talked about, then I get into doing the sheetrock, do my painting, my flooring. Uh, If I got windows that I'm replacing, sometime during that process, I would take care of the windows. But replacement windows can be done at any given time during the process, so you want to get them looked at early on. Because they typically take, you know, anywhere from three to eight weeks to for them to come in. But you can be doing all your other stuff while that's taking place.
2: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's generally got good bones. I, I wouldn't have purchased it otherwise. But, uh, yeah. I, but I agree with you. I think the foundation's first. I know I already know I'm going to have to get in the room. So I figured I'd dry everything in first.
1: So. Yep. Yeah, yeah, after foundation, roof has got to be number one, because otherwise you take the risk of everything else getting wet. Hello, Bill. How are you today?
3: I'm doing well, Jim Dutton. Uh, first of all, Jim Nutton, I'd like to thank your company for... Uh, y'all came out to our home many, many years ago and put a uh, a watering system all the way around the periphery of the home, about, oh, yeah. about a foot below the ground, and it turns on twice a twice in 24 hours uh, for maybe, uh, I think maybe 30 minutes to an hour, and just seeps a little water yep. all the way around the house. And by, by this so doing, we've never had to have our home, uh, never had to have you come out and level the house.
1: Well, darn it, Bill, that's costing me money.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, anyway, it's a wonderful system, and it's, uh, I'd, I'd sure like to hear people talk about that Preventative system more than uh, waiting twenty or thirty years and having to have the guys come out and jack up corners of a house.
1: You know, I and and I preach that all the time, and even in our ads, I'll say preventative maintenance because if you catch it early enough, that's all you need. But so often, like you just said, people wait and they ignore it and stuff, and then it turns into thousands of dollars.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, this is a nice little system, y'all have it. I appreciate it. What I called about. The city of Houston uh, curbing around my home, I'm on a quarter, so it's on two sides. I have about a half dozen places over the years that have uh, busted out between, uh, need some patchwork done that I have done previously. And it will last for a year or two, and then the patch thing dries up and just uh, comes out because it does not adhere to the uh, existing city of Houston curb. I've been told that now they have a deal. You power wash the surfaces real good, then you use uh, some uh, uh, a white liquid uh, concrete adhesive of some. Yeah, type. It's, a,
1: it's a bonding agent.
3: A bonding agent, okay, and uh, then in, in conjunction with this, uh, what I call patchcrete. Uh, that, you, in other words, a, a uh, uh, not 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 a bunch of big rocks. Yep. And uh, do you have any? Can you elucidate? Uh, can you uh, expand a little bit on this procedure and help me out? Any any little hints?
1: Sure. That 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 stuff looks like milk, actually. And you can just you just put that on, and then you put your concrete over it. And you can use that even when you're doing an overlay, like a two inch overlay on concrete to bond the two layers together. And oh. uh, but yeah, using sackcrete and stuff to do the curb repairs, it'll it'll work for that as well. Okay. And you can pick it up. A, a lot of times even the, like Lowe's and Home Depot have it, but I know HD Whitecap would have it. Gary in Montgomery, how are you today? I'm doing fine, sir. Thank you for taking my call.
2: My pleasure. How can I help my you? My problem is I have a garage door that faces south, mm-hmm. and it's going to need to be repaired because, or replaced because it's had the spine broken, and uh, so it no longer... It collapses in the middle, and it's got temporary structures up to, to hold it. But what I'm looking at is where do I go as far as insulated doors? Because the garage door in the summer gets really or the entire internal portion of the garage gets really hot. It's an attached sure. garage. And I'm looking at a couple of different kinds of garage doors, and I mean, there's sometimes a $1,000 difference. And I'm looking at the R value, and where do I, I make the best?
1: Okay. Honestly, forget about the R-Value. Okay. Uh, And and I say that because unless you're going to heat and cool that garage, R-Value will mean absolutely nothing to it. Uh, it, you got two different things to look at. R-Value is for insulation. E-Value is for radiant barriers and windows and things like that that are designed to block the heat. And an overhead garage door, that's what you typically want to do. So... Get you a metal garage door, and what they usually have is the, the face of it, and then it turns and heads in, and then on the inside it'll have a lip that turns up again. That's what gives the door sections, their rigidity. Yes. That section where it turns up, you can actually go down to your box store and get radiant barrier material that looks like bubble wrap, and use sheet oh. metal screws to screw it onto that little lip that's turned up. So it holds it on tight, puts a dead air space between the radiant barrier and the metal door, and that'll kill the heat coming in from that metal door.
2: Very good. Thank you. That you saved me probably a $1,000.
1: That's what I'm here for. I have a covered patio on the back of the house with a concrete slab that I believe was not part of the home original foundation. The patio slab has condensation on it during rainstorms or muggy weather so that I want to cover it with trex now trex is the uh synthetic wood can i lay the trex directly on the concrete or should i make some one by twos to lay as foundation of sorts to raise the trex so that it's above the concrete should i make those one by twos out of ripped pieces of trex thanks here's the issue that you're going to have putting it over the concrete you can go directly on the concrete if you want or you can raise it up a lot's going to just depend on the height of your doorway and stuff going out to this deck uh, or currently patio but you know you're going to have a gap between the boards dirt leaves things like that will get down in that gap yours has no place to go if you go straight down onto the concrete so it'll any dirt that gets on it will build up between that crack and it's going to stay there vice versa if you do put the uh screeds on there and that that's what the boards would be called as screeds you know you're going to have it up a little bit so that you can actually run water and rinse out between those boards now that doesn't mean you won't still get build up but it's not going to be just sitting there between the boards so If you've got the space, I would definitely fur it up a little bit with some screeds. Uh, Truthfully, I would probably look at, instead of using just some of the Trex that's ripped, because Trex, quite frankly, is very expensive, I would take a look at using some uh, treated 2x4s, because you're going to get it a little bit higher that way, and... Trex has no no real strength, so you've got to have the supports 12 inches apart. Otherwise it'll sag between them. So use two by four screeds, twelve inch centers, and you can rinse between it. You know, it gives you just a little bit more clearance. So you're not just looking down through the board, looking at the concrete. It gives you a little bit of clearance, but any dirt, leaves, debris that gets down in there, you have enough space to try to wash it on out when you rinse the deck off and stuff, because it will need rinsing off. The the Trex material is great material, uh, lasts a long time, durable, has no structural strength. That's the reason you're putting the the screeds on 12-inch centers, and if you build a deck out of Trex, the synthetic materials, even your joists are supposed to be 12-inch centers. Uh, And you will have to wash it periodically, because just like any other thing, it gets dust and stuff that builds up on it it will start to mold and mildew and not look so good so you just keep it rinsed off and everything goes well hello patrick how are you today i'm doing just fine how are you i'm doing great well i got
4: a quick question for you i've okay. got some uh siding uh, uh soffiting that's going bad and some of my uh trim work behind my gutters is uh, rotting out and uh i want to go back with uh I guess a uh, hardy board type product.
0: Yeah.
4: Cement board type product. But I've noticed some of these soffits, uh, they sell this hardy board soffiting with the holes already drilled in it for ventilation. Yeah. But they're they're pretty small and they're, they're pretty broadly spaced apart. Would I be better off just getting a solid piece of hardy board and putting in a, a real metal vent just to make sure I get enough airflow?
1: Well, I actually have the continuous vent uh that you were just describing where uh hardy's mm-hmm. already drilled it mm-hmm. on, on my house and it works great
2: okay uh okay. now and you
1: can't you can yeah. do the you know the screen material where you do a continuous right. opening like they used to do down the middle if you want mm-hmm. uh in right. fact hardy sells material for doing it that way also but uh no, they these when you have the continuous holes that they put in it, it's
2: mm-hmm. it's it's more than that ac- uh,
1: more than enough
2: yeah Okay.
4: And then uh behind the guttering, is there gonna be any problems with the moisture getting behind the I've got metal guttering behind the guttering and the hardy board and then having it attached to the regular uh rafter lumber. Is that gonna transmit any moisture into that interior framework?
1: Uh you run that the holes the no. holes from the guttering. Okay. No, yeah, I mean it can but uh there's not a whole lot you can do about it, so okay uh, you know typically it's the fascia board itself that rots not the uh, not the ends of the boards. It's when people let let it rot too far that it starts transmitting into the ends of the two bises Right. But, uh once you got the uh hardy on there you you're usually pretty good
4: okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's you all bet, I
1: Patrick. You're All right. Take care. Now, this came in from Paul in Dallas, and he says, a guy called in on Saturday's show with a question about a shower valve that wasn't letting enough hot water in. Jim, you said the problem was too much cold water. Well, yeah, probably. But I had to turn the radio off before he gave the solution. What's the solution to balancing the hot and cold inputs? Well, actually, on a single-handle valve... If you take the handle itself off, just uh, pop the cover, remove that screw in the middle. You can pull the handle itself off. Underneath, you're going to see this half-moon-looking cog thing. And it's got a set screw in it, and you can see there's an adjustment slot. Loosen up that set screw, adjust it up or down, depending on which way you need to go, and tighten up the screw. It is that simple. As far as how do you know which way to go... Just adjust it one way or the other and check the water to see what it's doing, and then you're good to go. Put your uh, handle back on it, and you're done. It it really is that simple. Typically, cracks appear in concrete. It's a normal fact of concrete. It's going to crack. Now, it's a matter of how wide the cracks get, and are they separating, things like that. But hairline cracks are going to happen, and people a lot of times are worried, oh, I want to seal that up. Most hairline cracks you don't need to worry about. If it opens up a little bit and you want to cover it, yes, you can put epoxies in it and things like that. And then they do make a top coat that you can put over the concrete. QuickCrete makes one that you literally can spread across the concrete with a, like a squeegee type thing. And it just gives you a nice smooth new surface on top after you filled in the crack if you don't fill in the crack it will show through and quite frankly when you epoxy those cracks it's very likely that you will get a new crack somewhere in the concrete because what typically causes the cracks is concrete expands and contracts with temperature changes so depending on when that crack was filled will depend on what the cracks gonna do if it tries to go together later and you filled it with epoxy it's going to pop a new crack in another spot in order to relieve the stress. If it tries to shrink and open up that crack, well, typically the epoxy is actually stronger than the original concrete. And so it'll pop a new crack, usually within four to six inches from the old crack. So that's the reason I say, typically I tell people, don't worry about messing with the cracks. But if you're insisting that you want to make it look better, you can cover them. And then put, like I said, that Quickrete top coat on, and you'll have what looks like brand new concrete again. Hello, Troy.
5: Uh, hello, Jim. Enjoy your show. Thank you uh, for taking my call. My pleasure. Hey, what I've got—it's uh, my father-in-law's house. There's a, a small slab poured adjacent to the brick foundation. I mean, to the concrete foundation. Uh huh. The house was built about 2000 in a subdivision here in Victoria, but. I guess the original expansion joint's gone away, and now would it be safe to assume moisture's gotten down in there? It's pushing that little slab away from the house, so it's about two inches away now instead of a three-quarter to one inch.
1: Yeah, it usually happens not because moisture gets down where the expansion joint is, but on the outside of that patio when it dries out, the soil shrinks, when it gets wet, it expands, and every time it goes through that up-and-down motion, it walks that little patio a little further away.
5: Ah, okay. Well, what would be a good way to, to seal that? Because now there's a two-inch gap between the house and that little slab. And it's under cover, but it's still exposed.
1: Sure. Well, you can actually put uh, epoxy in there mixed with sand, and that would seal it. Uh, you could put a rubberized material uh, you that you can get for filling expansion joints. Or you could actually put a board in there, uh, you know, a two-by board in there.
5: Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, we'll try one of those now, and see if it works. To, uh, to
1: minimize it, what you can do is, just like you should be watering the foundation, because Victoria's extremely expansive soils, go around right. that patio, and by keeping the soils moist and expanded, you'll stop that up and down movement, and it'll minimize it walking away.
5: Okay, great. Uh, we'll try that, too. Thank you very much.
1: You bet. Take care.
5: Okay, have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: Lynn, how can I help you?
6: Hi, Jim. My call is similar to Gary's, and I was interested in what you were telling him before he got disconnected. Um, I have a bathtub that also has some chips. Right. You can see the black, you know, metal underneath. I want to know whether you would recommend having the whole bathtub refinished, replacing the bathtub, or installing one of those, you know, all-in-one vinyl. Shower slash bathtubs. I want to do something that will last. I mean, I am the very best thing. I, I don't want to say that money is no sure. object, but I, I take care of my house, and I want to do the best yeah. thing. So what would you recommend?
1: Well, is this the tub that you use all the time?
6: Uh, no, it's in the guest room.
1: Okay. And, and the I asked that, that kind of makes a difference on what I would recommend, because if it's one that's being used all the time, Your best source is going to be to take it out and put the new one in. I don't care a new
6: new tub tub or a new vinyl one of those you know
1: plastic. I I would go with a a new tub tub or you can go with the vinyl ones. It doesn't matter, but don't do the inserts where they come in and just drop an insert into the existing tub. Uh, They can develop moisture between the two and get mold and stuff. I just don't care for that. Your second option, since this is not one you use a lot is to call a company like Miracle Method, and they can come in, patch that little chips, and then recoat the surface. And even when it's being used on a daily basis, you get years of good use out of it. They look wonderful when they're done. The less you use it, the longer it's going to last. So since this is not one that you use every day, it would be fine.
0: Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us.
1: Aaron, how can
0: I help you? Yeah. So um, I have a 1957 ranch home. Um, I've been in the house for about seven years, and all of a sudden one of my exterior faucets, and it's one of the galvanized pipes that runs from the ground, and it goes about, you know, a foot and a half or a foot up uh, to the faucet head, lost complete pressure. I'm talking about a quarter of the pressure is left on the water itself. Yep. Um, every freeze we've had, I've always covered all of my... I've got four exterior heads outside of my house. And it's just kind of baffling that that one all of a sudden just stopped. And that's you know, kind of what I watered my back lawn with. Sure. Um, just curious what your thoughts were, man. <laughs> and how do I
1: tackle it? Well, when a faucet all of a sudden stops that way, it means something's gotten behind it to plug it up. And... You said it was cast-iron pipes, right?
0: It, well, it, unfortunately... It's, I'm not uh, cast-iron.
1: I mean, uh, galvanized, galvanized and, pipes. Yeah, And
0: I do have a lot of trees, which makes me worry that maybe a root or something got in there.
1: Oh, no. Uh, uh, they won't get into the water lines. If it goes into a water line, it's spraying water everywhere. You you know it. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Okay. So it, it's, it's going to be just some debris got in there. And since it is a uh, galvanized line, the... The hose bib should be just screwed on. If you can shut the water off to the house, unscrew that hose bib, turn the water back on, and literally just let the water fly out of there, you'll well, probably blow out. it out. Yeah.
0: Yep. And then maybe just buy another head, do you think? or? Um...
1: Uh, those things are so simple. You can. You should be able to look inside of it uh, from the backside where the pipe was and actually Got probably it. see what was in there. Okay.
0: Right on.
1: And if well, not, yeah, just get another one. They're six bucks, and you screw it on, and you're done.
0: Now, my last question for you is, if there is, which I don't think it's going to be that, you're probably right, it's probably the easiest solution of, of just the head that got clogged. Yeah. Um, if there ever is a break in the line, how do you discover that? Like how, let's say, I mean, how does a plumber <laughs> come out and How's find How find it? Lines? Yeah, how do you find it?
1: Well, first of all, if, if a water line in the yard breaks... There's going to be water coming up. You'll, you'll end up Just with everywhere. a wet spot. Yeah, you'll, you'll have sense. a wet spot so you find it. Uh, otherwise, there is sonic equipment for it that you can use to listen and find where it's at. But like I said, if it's in a yard line somewhere, it, it, it's usually pretty easy to find.
0: That's really fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. And I you bet. I really appreciate your knowledge.
1: Take care. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. This comes from Mary Marion Friendswood. I'm wanting to know what I need to do for a house... It's white brick that's from the 70s that needs to be revitalized. I watched this old house, and they stated that you needed to use Portland, Lime, or something else. They did not recommend using paint that in 15 years it'll blister and peel. Would like to get your thoughts on it. The house is white, and I really would like it to be a different color. And is that possible? When you have when you use the portland lime and water and i know that i need to make sure all those bricks are secure and w- i would really like your input thank you well mary uh you know this old house is a great show they do a lot of stuff but they don't do it here in texas and in the northern states yes it can be a huge problem with the paint blistering it can actually be a problem here as well if it's not done properly, if you're going to paint the brick, the first thing you have to do is use a proper primer for masonry work. They actually make one that you have to put on the brick first, then you can put the paint on the brick. And could it blister in 15 years? Sure, it could. But if it's done properly, unlikely that it will. In the northern states, almost guaranteed it will because it it freezes and moisture gets behind it, and that's a lot of times what'll blister it off. In our climate, it's the sun that blisters the stuff off. So, put the primer, the masonry primer on, paint it, and should 15 or 20 years from now it blister off, the fix is you come in with a pressure washer, you blast off all the loose paint, you reprimer, repaint, and you got another 15, 20 years. Uh, you know, if you mix the lime and the and the mortar and, and all Portland and all that kind of stuff, you're basically stuccoing the house. And unless you're going to put the, the lath and all the different layers of stucco and stuff, not something I would recommend doing. And you're going to get into something that's a whole lot more expensive. So you can go ahead and paint it. Just make sure you use that masonry primer.